Before we get to the show, if you want to listen ad-free, go to gzmshows.com slash subscribers. That's gzmshows.com slash subscribers. Hi, I'm Jonathan Messenger, and welcome to The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian. On last week's show, you may remember the kids in Explorers Troop 301 got themselves in a bit of trouble on an alien planet, their first visit to an alien planet. The monkey-like patients they were supposed to visit were under attack from the underground dwellers, a mysterious race of aliens that sucked patients underground and, in the end, the entire troop as well. And, and, and actually I feel really weird right now because I've never gotten this far into an introduction without being interrupted before. Hey robot. Hey, what's going on? Can't move. Paralyzed. Paralyzed? What? I thought you'd be bouncing around the place by now. I mean, today's the day. You're going to get your name. I know. That's why I can't move. It's so, uh, so exciting. The circuitry, overwhelmed, motherboard, heating up. Okay, hold on, buddy. Let me just, let me just, there. Clicked on your fan. That ought to cool you down. Why don't you do a little robot yoga to calm down while I run through all 38 of the names that our great listeners sent in for you? Sound good? Yes, yes, thank you. I'm now going to meditate. Okay, great. I'm going to run very quickly through all the names sent in by our listeners. Are you ready? Okay, sounds like he is. Here we go. Larry, Dubular, Griffinborg, Wanatron, Mr. Talkative, Chicken Baymax, Percy, Mechanic, Bumblebee, Barbecue Sauce, Phantom, Rainbow, Edward, Jameson, Credit Card, Axel, Grease Grinder, Robo, Rudy, Jefferson, Bodathan, Mesatron, Hal, Hello All Listeners, Robomogo, Robomogo T, Robofogo, Clyborg, Mr. Fluffy, Bebop, Chocolate Baloneyhead, Mr. Grumpsy, Roger, Robe, Robespierre, Senor Magnetic Butt, Tin Thespian, Flibbertybot, Crankhead, Goldie Goldeye, Launch, and Ellie. So many great names. I know. So many great names to choose from, I can't take it. Uh oh. What was that? I'm overheating. How will I ever choose? I can't choose. I can't possibly choose. Oh, well, you don't have to choose. What? We actually held the poll for all of our Facebook and Twitter friends, and they voted for their favorites. We got over 100 responses, so we have a good sense of who the winner is. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it? And we'll tell you as soon as we get through episode 5 in the Dweller's Cellar. What? No. Wait, no, calm down. No, 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 no. The poor robot's head just popped off and went flying out the window. Oh, man. I hope his head comes back soon before the end of the show. Okay, without further ado, let's just get into the episode. Episode 5, In the Dweller's Cellar. If you're going to get kidnapped by a race of terrifying underground ghoul aliens with scaly gray skin and one giant eye that takes up over half of their heads, the Dwellers were actually a pretty good choice. Where the members of Explorers Troop 301 may have thought they were being dragged beneath the surface to be eaten or tossed into a river of lava or to be barbecued for later, which was Vale's idea, in fact, they were being pulled down and put on what felt like a roller coaster. 
the captives were sat down in what looked like a fairly large minecart, driven by either one dweller in the front or one in the back. The crew couldn't see how the carts were driven. The minecart sped downward at an uncomfortable speed. Torches welded to the rock on either side illuminated giant stalactites, pointed rocks that hung from the top of the tunnel like fangs, and there were crude drawings on the rock walls. Most of them seemed to be making fun of the patients. Cartoons of the giant monkeys tripping and falling or bonking their heads on the stalactites. The explorers couldn't talk. The speed and downward spiral of the minecart forcing them to keep silent just to keep from throwing up. Finally, the cart came to an abrupt stop. They found themselves at a sheer, flat rock wall with a ladder leading up into a cave about 15 feet above the track. A large fire must have been burning bright in the cave because unlike the dim tunnel, the mouth of the cave flickered and seemed to brim with life. The cold hand of one of the dwellers grabbed Finn by the forearm and pulled him out of the cart. Hey, said Finn, flinching at the iciness of the dweller's touch. What's going on? Why have you taken us? The dweller said nothing but pointed up the ladder. Sir, Foggy whispered to Finn. Should I fly up and see what we're about to get ourselves into? No, just climb the ladder like the rest of us, please. Finn had the idea that it might be best to hide Foggy's ability to fly for now. The four climbed the ladder. Great plan, said Abigail. Stomp around like a fool and get us yanked underground. Brilliant. Hey, you know who likes to burrow and make their homes underground, said Finn? Who? Bunnies. Abigail laughed. Yeah, but bunnies are awesome, and these dweller guys are not quite as cuddly or awesome. The four entered a large cave brightly lit with torches all around the walls. Dweller guards stood at the entrance. It was the first time the explorer's troop could get a really good look at them. The dwellers were relatively short, just a bit taller than the kids, but very muscular. And their skin, while gray, wasn't so much scaly as it was ashy. It almost looked like they were made out of rock. They had one big eye in the middle of their heads, which looked smaller now that they were in the well-lit room. None of them smiled. The guard motioned for the explorers to enter the cave. They walked down a narrow aisle, and on either side of the floor were dark gray, egg-shaped rocks. The rocks were evenly arranged, probably about 10 feet between each one, with three on either side of the aisle in neat rows. The guards shouted at the explorers, but their voices just sounded like grunts. And the four of them just walked, baffled, toward the back of the cave. I'm not sure what they want from us, said Foggy. My translator application does not recognize their language. I know what I want from them, said Vale, to be moved to another room. It smells like a dinosaur died in here. Guys! The four looked over and saw it was Elias, sitting on one of the rocks toward the back of the cave. He was surrounded by sad-looking patients all sitting on the rocks. Elias! Finn yelled and gave his friend a hug. I can't believe we found you. Yeah, well, you may not like what you have found. Elias told them that they had been moved here with the other patients to sit on the eggs. Yes, they were dweller eggs from what he could determine. Did you guys feel how cold those guys were? Said Elias. I figure they need us or the monkeys. Um, we're patients? Sorry, patients to sit on their eggs to warm them like a chicken would to incubate the baby so they can hatch. They're probably too cold to do it themselves. But that doesn't make any sense, said Abigail. I mean, evolution-wise, why would they not evolve to be able to sit on their own eggs? Elias hopped down. Good point, he said. He walked over to where a patient was sitting on an egg and gave it a few knocks. This actually doesn't feel like an egg, or it doesn't really sound hollow. The shell must be really thick. Just then, Elias' egg started vibrating and humming. Cracks appeared in the rock. A bright light shone through. The humming grew louder and louder, and the troop stepped back. 
Sir, I think it's time we left, said Foggy, raising his arms to take flight. Not yet, said Finn. Guys, over here. They all ducked behind an egg a patient was sitting on and watched as the cracks in Elias's egg grew wider and wider and the light from inside the egg grew brighter and brighter and then the egg exploded. Rocks flew everywhere and a smell too horrible for words filled the cave. So that's it, said Finn. They don't need us to sit on the eggs because they're too cold. They just don't want to sit on them themselves because they don't want to get blown up. Finn peered over the egg and saw a tiny baby dweller, its single eye blinking open. You know, he said, if its family didn't pull us underground to kidnap us and then try to blow us up, it'd be kind of cute. The guards rushed in and carried the crying dweller baby out of the cave. Its goo-goo-gagas sounded like an old man coughing. Okay, we need a plan to get out of here fast, said Finn. No, no more of your plans, said Abigail. I'm the captain. Here's how it's going to go down. Foggy, you grab Finn and fly him out of here. Elias, you hold on to Finn's ankles. I'll hold on to Elias's ankles, and Vale, you hold on to mine. Why am I last? said Vale. So you can savor the smell one last time, said Abigail. Foggy, can you carry us all out like that? said Finn. I'll try. The crew lined up as Abigail had laid out, but one looked back and Finn knew the plan was wrong. We need to get the patients back, too. We can't just leave them here to be blown up. You're right, Abigail said. Okay, new plan. Foggy, you fly the four of us. And one, two, three, four, thirteen patients out of here. Sound good? Sounds terrible, actually, said Foggy. Let's do it. Vale held up a hand. But how are we going to get past the guards? They all turned and looked at the four guards standing at the mouth of the cave. They'd begun to grunt and were plucking torches from the wall to come see why the captives had jumped down off their eggs. Well, let's introduce them to their babies. Abigail grabbed a torch off the wall and held it to one of the eggs. Finn did the same on the other side and quickly, both eggs started vibrating. The guards were getting closer and closer as the eggs began to hum. The guards paused as they looked stupefied at the captives baking their eggs. The eggs began to crack. The guards yelled some more and started running toward them. Okay, said Abigail. Mazel tov! She started pushing her egg and Finn his. The patients helped and began rolling the eggs toward the guards. Foggy grabbed Elias and put Vale on his back once the eggs started rolling. Abigail grabbed Foggy's ankle and helped Finn grab hold of the other. The patients caught on and grabbed Abigail and Finn's feet. Foggy blasted forward, but the weight caused him to go up and down as if he were a boat caught in a storm. They flew past the rolling eggs, which had now gained momentum and were rolling quickly toward the guards. The dwellers realized what was happening and they stopped running immediately and turned, shouting for the entrance. The explorers may not have known how to speak dweller, but you don't need a translator to know they were yelling, Exploding eggs! Coming at us! Run! As Foggy flew to the edge of the cave, the eggs exploded. But the eggs had rolled too close to the other eggs and the heat from the explosions caused the other eggs to go boom. And then the heat from the combined explosions set off a chain reaction of egg explosion, dweller baby burns, and a cloud of the worst smell in the galaxy. The guards weren't behind them anymore, apparently ducking out a side exit to get away from the little baby boomers. But they weren't safe yet. As soon as Foggy flew out of the cave, the weight of the troop and all of those patients dragged him down. They landed at the bottom of the ladder to the cave, where the minecart they'd arrived in sat empty. They all piled in, the patients clinging to the side. Finn. Uh, Elias, do you know how to drive this thing? Elias. Oh, do I know how to drive an underground space minecart made by one-eyed ice monsters with exploding babies? Glad you asked. No, I do not. Abigail, Finn, and Elias began banging at the controls. 
series of levers and buttons that were arranged like spaghetti and meatballs on a panel in front. Foggy looked for a computer or any electronics he could hack into, but there weren't any. Uh, guys, said Vale, you better learn to drive that thing fast. Immediately, the crew heard the grunts of the dwellers. Two dozen appeared at the mouth of the cave, blinking their lone eyes and hollering down at the troop and the patients. Okay, gotta go, said Foggy, and he grabbed the end of the cart, turned on the boosters in his boots, and began pushing. It was easier than carrying them, but they moved slower than they needed to. The dwellers jumped down from the cave and began running after their captives in the stolen cart, throwing small rocks as they ran. The patients, seeing that the weight of the cart was slowing them down, leapt up and grabbed onto the stalactites, the long, thin, spiky rocks hanging from the ceiling of the tunnel. They swung along above the cart, and Foggy was able to pick up the pace. They passed several switches where the tracks split in different directions, and Finn began to worry that they weren't going to be able to find a way out. We don't need to find a way back to where we were dragged down, said Abigail, reading the worry on Finn's face. We just need to find any opening to the surface. And just as she said that, the minecart rolled down from one of the other tracks and switched onto their tracks. It carried four shouting, rock-throwing dwellers in hot pursuit. Vale, said Abigail. On it, said Vale. He stood up in the cart and loaded his bow. He fired several arrows at the dwellers, but the arrows just bounced off their rocky hides. Uh, this isn't working, guys, Vale yelled as the dwellers' cart came closer. Foggy, can you go any faster, Finn yelled, but he knew the robot couldn't or he already would have. Finn looked above at the patients swinging from the stalactites. Vale, since your arrows aren't stopping the dwellers, see if you can knock down one of the stalactites. What? You want me to shoot a rock? Vale drew back his bow, his elbow extending over Finn's head as Finn crouched in the cart. No. With all my training, I know I just need to fire one. Finn rolled his eyes and bumped Vale's elbow. The arrow shot up high into the air and hit one of the stalactites. The rock split and came down on one of the dwellers, knocking it out of the cart. I meant to do that, yelled Vale. Then keep doing it, yelled Abigail. Vale took aim at the stalactites and sent a waterfall of rock crashing down on the dweller's cart. The rocks blocked the track behind the troop as they pulled into a chamber lit not by torches, but by light streaking down through the holes of the surface. Up we go, said Foggy, and one by one he carried the explorers up onto the surface, where they climbed the trees of the jungle to avoid being grabbed again. The patients swung up and joined them. Okay, said Abigail. We catch our breath for one minute, and then we head back to the pod. The less time we spend on this planet, the better. Vale stretched out on top of one of the jungle trees as if it were a hammock. You know, it doesn't matter whose sun it is, nothing feels as good as coming up out of the dark and into the sunlight. Finn noticed a stirring in the trees. A patient was leaping from the crown of one to another, making their way to them. It was the same one, the one they'd met in the beginning with the communication device, who was supposed to be their guide to the planet. How? He said. How is this possible? After the troop told him about their escape, the patient was awed. Amazing! Unbelievable! Thank you so much! Not only is this information invaluable for keeping us safe from the dwellers in the future, but one of the patients you saved was actually my sister. I don't really blame them, you know, said Elias. They just want to have babies. It's not their fault the babies blow them up. Well, nevertheless, I thought I would give you this as a token of our appreciation. The patient handed Abigail a scrap of rusted metal. She gazed at it, jaw open. Finn took it from her hand and scraped at the rust with his fingernail. It was an Explorer's Troop badge, just like the one Explorer's Troop 301 wore, only it was old and worn and seemed to have been almost snapped in half. Where did you get this? said Finn. The patient shrugged. I found it one day on a beach not far from here. I thought it was pretty, so I kept it. But I see that it's somehow related to you all, so I thought you should have it. The troop and Foggy followed a patient guide through the trees back to their ship. 
They didn't say anything too worn out by the day's events, too shocked to have found a troop star on their uncharted planet. Someone had been here before, but why was there no record of it? Do you think this was just a test planet, said Vale? Like they didn't trust us to go out on our own, so they sent us to one that's already been charted? No, said Finn, as Abigail started the pod's engine and the ship took off for the Marlow. I mean, I know my mom said she'd been in touch with the patients, but then the patients didn't seem to recognize us as humans. And why tell us they'd been in touch, but not tell us anyone had ever been here before? It, it doesn't make any sense. The ship left the planet's atmosphere, re-entering space. Well, that was exciting, said Foggy. But I am worn out. We're all exhausted, said Abigail turning the Rusty Explorer's badge over in her hand. Get some rest, because I have a feeling it's not going to be quiet around here anytime soon. Okay, I'm here with my editor and son, Griffin Messenger. Hey, Griffin. Hi, hi, hello. So, Griff, was there anything you wanted to talk to me about this episode? Um, I like that the eggs exploded, but okay. why didn't the dwellers explode? Well, <laughs> yeah... That's, that was the whole reason why they were kidnapping everybody, was to have them sit on the eggs and explode rather than the dwellers explode. So they knew that the eggs exploded. So when they saw the eggs were ready to explode, they ran away. Does that make sense? Yeah. Although, I wish they just exploded. Uh, I wish they true. didn't see the eggs coming and, and then we're just looking around for the kids. And then when they looked down, it was about to blow up. Oh, like they turned around and suddenly they were like, whoa, there are eggs right there. And then they yeah. <laughs> no, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Okay, well, the, the next thing we need to do is that I have two jokes that I need to tell that came in from listeners. Okay, so this joke is from Ewan from Georgetown, Massachusetts. He's four years old. Where were all the aliens going fast in their spaceships? I don't know. To the big alien party. <laughs> and then I also have a joke here from Ezra from Chicago, and I'm going to play that for you now. Hi, this is Ezra Weiss, and I want to tell you a joke. What do you call a space chicken crossing the road? Bok, 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 vroom! <laughs> okay, all right. Thank you. That was a great joke. Thank you to Ezra. Thank you to Ewan. If you have a joke that you want to send in to us, by all means, send it to earth at fincasping.com or go to fincasping.com slash contact where we have about a billion ways to get in touch with us. Okay, and so Griffin, we have big news. We have the robot's name, the name that everybody voted for to be his first name. Are you ready? Yes. And the robot's head just landed. All right, you're here just in time. I'm okay. Okay, Griffin, do you want to tell the robot what his name is? Yes, yes, tell me my name, tell me my name, what is my okay. name? Okay, the envelope, please. Bebop. Bebop, yeah. Oh, I love Bebop, I love Bebop. Thank you so much, Griffin. You're welcome, Bebop. Yes, it feels so good to be called Bebop. That's right, so the first place winner was Bebop, and so that's your first name. And then the second place winner was Robo Mogi, so that's your middle name. And then finally, the third place winner was Juanatron, which will be your last name. So your full name will be Bebop Robo Mogi Juanatron. Oh, yes, I am so happy. <laughs> so I want to say thanks to Addie from Foxborough, Massachusetts, who suggested Bebop, Emmett from Skokie, who suggested Robo Mogi, and Mario from Chicago, who suggested Juanatron. Thank you all so much, and thanks to everybody who suggested a name, who emailed a name, who voted in our poll. Everybody who uh, has participated in this has been really fun. And obviously, Bebop, Robomogi, Juanatron is very excited about it. Okay, so I think that does it for today's show. Griff, anything else you want to say? Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> okay, see you next week, everybody. 
Once again, thank you all so much for listening and sending in your jokes, your robot names, your ideas, everything. We really do love getting your emails. Thanks to Ewan from Massachusetts and Ezra from Chicago for their jokes. You can send yours to earth at fincasping.com and we'll make good use of it, we promise. And thanks to everyone who has left such great reviews in iTunes. If you have a second and you feel like it, drop one in there. It really helps a lot in terms of getting word out about the show. The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian is a type drawer media production written and produced by Jonathan Messenger, edited and guided by Griffin Messenger, with special thanks to Maria Villanueva. The theme music you hear at the beginning and end of every show is by Mark Greenberg, recently voted the nicest human east of the Mississippi River. The other bed music you heard throughout the episode is by Visager, and we'll have links to their music in the show notes, along with links to our outro music, which is by 8-Bit Ninjas. Thanks to Ian Dingman for our cover art, and thanks again for your jokes, your art, your ideas. Keep them coming, and we will see you next week. What do you think of King Bebop? I wore winter boots every day for two years. I hate climbing trees. I'm Deborah Goldstein, host of the podcast The Big Fib, and half of those statements were indeed fibs. On every episode of The Big Fib, we bring on two grown-ups. One is an expert and the other is a liar. And it's the job of our human child contestant to help us figure out who is who, because no one can spot a liar better than a kid. We've had episodes on everything from Minecraft to mythology and from Lego to libraries. Join me and my robot co-host, Lisa, on The Big Fib on Apple Podcasts or on gzmshows.com.